This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and please open it to the Gospel of Matthew once again. Chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you or don't have a Bible app on your phone, there are hard copies of God's Word located in the chairs near where you are seated. Uh, Please feel free to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that one with you as a gift from Trinity as your own. We're going to be continuing this series on the Kingdom of Heaven in the Gospel of Matthew up until Palm Sunday. So the next few Sundays, we're going to be in chapter 13, and this morning I direct your attention to three verses, Matthew 31 through 33. Jesus is telling parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Hear the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. It's a very true statement to say that God loves all people. That is incorporated in Perhaps the best known verse in the scripture, for God so loved the world. And while I am confident in saying that because that is what the scripture teaches, I'm equally as confident in the next statement, that our God has a special place in his heart for the underdog. Now I'm not just saying that, Because March Madness has begun in all of its fury and there have already been two number one seeds upset in the basketball tournament. That is not what I'm thinking about this morning. Well, I guess I am a little bit. Scripture shows continually how God works through the underdog. A quick survey of the Scripture shows us That our God works through those who are given no chance. If you were to have taken a survey in Israel's early history and asked the question, would there be any way that a slave people would be set free from Egypt, the mightiest power on the face of the earth? And not only would they be set free, but they will actually plunder Egypt as they leave. No one... You hear me? No one would have said that's possible. Yet Moses led Israel out of Egypt, and in doing so, the Egyptians literally gave away their treasure. 
No one would have said that Israel could go into Canaan, invade it, and make it their homeland. Israel was a ragtag group of refugees. At that point, most, if not all, had been born in the wilderness. They were not a battle-hardened army. And the thought of going in and defeating the Canaanites would have been absolutely ridiculous to the common wisdom of the day. Nevertheless, at the end of the book of Joshua, as he is standing in the land of Canaan, he praises God by saying, One of you put 1,000 to flight, and two of you put 10,000 of the enemy to flight. So is the power of God through the underdog. Perhaps the best known example of God working through the underdog is none other than David against Goliath. Such a well-known biblical narrative that it has taken root in our common thinking that indeed when a number 16 seed beats a number 1 seed, what has happened? David has beat Goliath again. Have mercy, Lord. The kingdom of God, though supreme and sovereign, is the underdog for now. The kingdom began that way. When Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, although he came in power, demonstrating the power of God through miracles and through the very resurrection of the dead, the kingdom, by common knowledge and common wisdom, would have stood no chance of growing. After all, it was only Jesus, 12 disciples, and one of them betrayed him and one of them denied him. A few women... And maybe a couple of hundred disciples who were in the crowd or on the fringe. That number grew, however, within a few years to several thousand. But even then, the kingdom of God as manifest upon the earth was but a drop in the bucket to Rome. For what is a few thousand compared to the population of five million in Rome, the Roman Empire? And then you compare a few thousand to the number of inhabitants in the world at that time, which is estimated to have been around 300 million people. Yet today, the church, which is the manifestation of God's kingdom upon the earth, has grown from the time of Jesus, where it numbered a few hundred to a few thousand, to now where there is anywhere in the world, anywhere from two to four billion people who profess Christianity God works in such a way that the glory will always go to Him. How else can you explain the way the kingdom of God has grown and is growing? There's no other way to explain it. When Jesus tell these, tells these parables, He's addressing the expectation of the disciples. Because in many ways there was still that expectation that when Jesus came, He would usher in the kingdom in full force. That's why they often asked Him, When will you come in power? 
And while James and John looked at him and said, When you come in power, will you let one of us sit on your left hand and the other on the right hand? They were expecting the full manifestation of the kingdom of God now. And Jesus is tempering that expectation by saying, At this time, the kingdom will be the underdog. To make this point, Jesus told two parables. Two parables with one point using very familiar images. A mustard seed and a leaven. In verse, verses 31 through 32, Jesus makes the statement where he says, The kingdom of heaven is like the man who took a grain of a mustard seed and sold it in his field. Jesus says that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, mentioning this in verse 32. Now, if you'll allow me for a moment to take a little bit of a, a rabbit trail. There are critics who will point out that the mustard seed, as you see here in someone's uh, palm, is actually not the smallest seed. They will point this out to undermine the veracity of the Scripture to see, well, you see, you can't trust the Bible. However, I would answer that by reminding us that Jesus is communicating in the way that you and I communicate. What I mean is that, one, he is using a figure of speech. For example, today, we might look at someone that we've not seen in a while and say, man, it's been a minute. What do we mean when we're saying that? Or we're saying, it has literally been 60 seconds since I saw you. No, we're using a figure of speech to communicate that it's been a long time since we've seen them. Jesus is using a recognized figure of speech at that time, an idiom, to show how the kingdom of God will begin small. The second thing I would point out is that in common language, the way you and I talk with one another, we recognize that we are not trying to speak with a level of scientific specificity. What I mean is this. If I were to come up to you this morning and ask you, how far away do you live from the church? You might say, well, I live about four and a half miles away. I think that's interesting. And I drive out to your house and I keep an eye on my odometer and it reads 4.73 miles. I'm probably not going to call you up and say, why did you lie to me? You said you lived four and a half miles away, and it's really 4.73 miles. No, we recognize that in common speaking, we don't seek the precise level. Jesus is speaking in such a way. It doesn't mean that what he's saying is not true, but he's speaking in the way that you and I speak to make a point that is understood by the people. And the point is this, that that small grain of a mustard seed grows into something much larger over time. That small seed will grow into a, a tree measuring up to 12 feet tall. In fact, Jesus points out that it will be so large that the birds of the air will come and make nests in it. The kingdom of God will start small, but will become something larger than you and I can imagine. He makes this same point when he starts talking about leaven. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, like three measures of flour that the woman put in, or three measures of leaven that she put into the flour. 
Now, leaven is not exactly like yeast. Leaven would have been a piece of dough from bread that had been baked the previous week or day before, placed in the current bread to make it rise. So it's similar to yeast, but not exactly the same. Now, the amazing thing with this parable is that she took a little bit of leaven, little bit, and placed it in three measures of flour. Three measures of flour is a huge amount of flour. It's the equivalent of 40 liters of flour. That's enough flour to make 110 pounds of bread. It's enough bread to feed 150 people or 100 if it's feeding Southern Baptist. The point is the same. A little bit of leaven... And such a large amount of flour impacts in a way that is greater than its beginning. The kingdom of God will begin small, but will end large. Now, there are three takeaways that I want us to to leave this message with. And the first is this. The kingdom grows slowly. Be patient. Now I want you to keep in mind that as I apply these truths, we're thinking large of the kingdom of God, but we also have to think in many ways small. For what is the kingdom of God made up of? Or better yet, who makes up the kingdom of God? That's us. So what is said of the kingdom growing and expanding is not only true of how the mission is reaching out all over the world, it becomes true of us also. The seed takes time to grow. It takes time for the leaven to work its way through the bread. So be patient. But how many of us would say that patience is our strong suit. Waiting is viewed as an inconvenience, a pain, something that shouldn't have to happen. We shouldn't have to wait for the things that we want or the things that we believe that we need. Why should we have to wait for these things after all? If we want it now, there's no reason not to have it now. But That's not the way the kingdom of God works. And the temptation is very real that while we wait, we start to look for shortcuts to get what we want now. But shortcuts in the kingdom of God never work out well. Never. In the Old Testament, when Saul was waiting for Samuel to go into battle, he was waiting for Samuel, who was the prophet of God, to come and bless them. But Saul began to get anxious as he is waiting, and so he makes a decision that he will step into the role that Samuel had, and he would lead the sacrifice, and he would give the blessing. He decided to take a shortcut to meet his immediate need instead of waiting upon God. And when Samuel arrived, he shook his head and said, Saul, what have you done? You've stepped into a role that was not yours to claim. And you have tried to bypass the way God works. And now the kingdom will be taken from you. Shortcuts in the kingdom never work. Much ink has been used to try to explain why Judas betrayed Jesus. 
One of the predominant ideas is that Judas wanted to try to force the issue of the kingdom. In other words, Judas couldn't accept that the kingdom would start small and grow big. He couldn't accept that the kingdom was not going to manifest itself now in power. So he tried to set up a scenario where Jesus would have to act. Now, this is the theory. So that Judas betrayed him thinking that when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden, it would force Jesus to act in a military way to set up his kingdom. Now, while Judas' act fulfilled the plan of God, his shortcut did not bring about what he wanted. You and I will be tempted to take shortcuts. Why wait for marriage when we can have physical intimacy now? That's a shortcut that will never work out well. What, what, what if I could fudge the truth a little bit to get this now? Fudging the truth never works. You can have it now as a lie. Be patient. Trust God to fulfill His Word. I would remind you that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Now, I know when I speak of patience, the one thing that many believers are saying is, never pray for patience. Why? You'll experience circumstances where you have to wait. God will try you in that way. But I'm not sure that's exactly what the Scripture teaches. Not that we won't face trying times where we have to wait. But patience is not grown by circumstance. Circumstances reveal our need for patience. How is patience grown? By the Spirit. If patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit, that means the more that I abide in the Spirit, the more the Spirit takes control over me, the more patience will be exemplified in my life. It is a fruit that comes out, not by circumstances. They reveal the need, but by the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So today, if you're thinking, I just don't have patience, praise God that He will supply it. In those times where you become impatient, where we all become impatient, say, Lord, let your spirit work within me. Because the kingdom grows slowly. Be patient. Second thing is this, the kingdom grows organically. Therefore, be connected. The seed and the leaven grow over time as living organisms. In other words, they're not programmed robots there's not step-by-step instructions, do this and this happens. The kingdom grows as a life. That means it grows through connection. It's a living organism. And it's amazing to me that the predominant images of the Scripture, not the only ones, but the predominant ones of the church are those of living organisms, the body of Christ. A holy priesthood. Now, yes, there are others. We are a temple. But it always comes back to the truth that the church is living and alive. It's a reminder of the power that can come through life indwelling a person. One of the biggest organisms on the planet Earth is found in Australia. In Shark Bay, Australia. Yes, put me down to go to the beach in Shark Bay. There's a field of seagrass that has grown in Shark Bay, Australia. This field of seagrass covers 77 square miles. 
It's three, size, the three times the size of Manhattan. It covers the equivalent of 20,000 football fields. It's huge. And what scientists have discovered is this. It's a single plant. There's one plant. One that has grown to cover 77 square miles. That did not happen overnight. But it grew out of one. All the life that is growing is connected to one. Jesus made this point in the Gospel of John when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If we are to grow, we must remain connected to the vine. We must remain connected to the vine as a congregation, knowing that our life flows from Christ. Spiritual vigor is not something we drum up on our own, but it comes as we are connected to Christ through prayer, through humility, through loving one another. And in our own lives, we grow spiritually as we grow in Christ. We must remain connected to Christ in order to grow. Remember that growth often occurs at different rates. Some plants grow quickly, some grow slowly. The point is growth occurs. So be careful in comparing yourselves with other believers. We all grow, but there may be times where we take two steps back to go one step forward. But keep pressing on. We must remain connected to the vine. And now the next thing we must remain connected to, and hear me out in, in this. We must remain connected to the world. Now hear me out. The seed does not grow if it's not in soil. The leaven is not effective if it's not in the dough. We are called to be in the world while we are not of it. We are called to reach out to a world that needs the gospel. You see, that's where when we really read the gospels, where we really look at the life of Jesus, it makes us a little uncomfortable, and it should. Why? Because Jesus ate with the sinners. He rubbed shoulders with those who were looked at as outcasts, troublemakers, those who had no future. Jesus is, why would Jesus eat with a, of all things, a tax collector? Why would he look at Zacchaeus and say, I'm going to your house today? Whereas in our thinking, we would be saying, have nothing to do with that man. But how else can the gospel be shared if we are not in contact with those who need to hear it? How else can we tell those that are in this big and personal world that God knows your name how is it that we can tell them in this world that moves so fast you will get run over that the kingdom of God is steady and an anchor? How can we tell the world that in this world that is expensive, the kingdom of God is accessible? That in this world that is complex, the kingdom of God is really simple. That in this cold and yielding world, the kingdom of God cares. How else can we tell the world that when these times are unstable, the kingdom of God is an anchor unless we are connected with them? We must tell the world that by faith in Jesus, you can be a part of the kingdom. You can't buy it, you just have to believe it. You don't have to have the right credentials, only faith. You don't have to pass the test, but just trust. We must be connected 
with the Lord and with the lost in order to do this. Now, in doing so, it's easy to become discouraged because connections can be challenging. That's why I would remind you also, the kingdom grows out of sight. Be hopeful. For often we look at the world and we become angry and cynical. And we end up responding to the world as the world responds to us. But we forget that the kingdom of God is at work even when we cannot see what God is doing. That means that when we look at the world and we think, man, things are changing and unraveling. As believers, we should be able to say, no, the kingdom of God is at work. Just like the seed is growing underneath the soil, the kingdom of God is at work. And just because we cannot ascertain what God is doing, it does not mean that God is not at work. Remember, the kingdom starts small and it grows. It's a reminder to us to be hopeful. It's a reminder to us to know, to never discount the impact that something small can have. Because if you think that something that is small cannot have a great impact, then you have never been stuck in a tent with a mosquito. Don't overlook the power of a small act. A brief word spoken at the right time. A smile to brighten someone's day. A moment where you may be experiencing frustration at the slowness of the person at operating the checkout line and instead responding in anger saying, it's okay. Because of the kingdom, we have a hope that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Hope that one day the tears that we shed today will be dried tomorrow. That the pain of this world will become the pleasures of his presence. And that the kingdom of this world will bow down confessing. According to Philippians 2. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. That's when the kingdom blooms. Kingdom of God's like a mustard seed that when planted grows until it's large enough for the birds of the air to land in it. The kingdom of God is like a little lump of leaven. It's placed in three measures of flour that eventually causes the dough to rise. Right now, the kingdom may appear to be small. But the story's not done yet. Bow with me in prayer, if you will. Father, I pray that these truths will take root in our heart. That we will be reminded that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And right now, Lord, we see vestiges of it in our lives and in the work that is taking place all around the world. We see it, oh, Father, in the the lives of those that are transformed by the power of the gospel. We see it in those lives that are sustained by the power of your spirit. We see it in our lives, Father. So I pray that on a personal level, in the days where we struggle and even sin and fail, that we would be reminded that you are at work within us. And Father, when we begin to feel hopeless because of the, the changes we are seeing in the world, remind us that, Lord, you're at work. 
Therefore, we need not despair. Grant us, Lord, to remember and to see these things. To your glory, I pray. Amen.